Welcome to How Do You EQ, the podcast where you will learn about building and developing a company culture of creating change, dreaming big, and challenging the status quo. Hosted by EQRX. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode three of How Do You EQ? For those listening in for the first time, How Do You EQ is a podcast where industry disruptors and change makers share their firsthand experiences building, growing, and cultivating innovative companies that start with a people-first approach. And specifically for EQRX, we believe our people-first approach will deliver tangible benefits to people across the globe who need access to affordable, high-quality medicines. So for those of you who have been with us a few times, you know that I am Sue Hager, your host and Chief Communications Officer at EQRX. Over the course of this podcast, we'll be talking with people who are thoughtful culture builders, and we'll gain some important perspectives from big thinkers in the world of work. I have a really exciting guest today. I'm so stoked she's here. (laughs) She's super fiery, and I love her energy and her passion. I've been looking forward to my conversation with her for a while, so I'm really pleased to introduce Karen Kahn, who is the founder and CEO of iFundWomen. Hello, Sue. Thanks for having Hello, me. I'm Karen. so excited to yeah, be here, Yeah, thanks too. for being here. I've been listening to the first few, and I'm like just psyched to talk to you. Oh, awesome. Thanks so much. Um, just for the benefit of our listeners today, I just wanted to describe you in EQRX parlance. So if I was talking to our team, I would describe you as a warrior and a disruptor because you are a person, at least to me, who challenges dogma. Uh, you seem to be an outspoken voice for social good through disruption, through entrepreneurship and social equality. And I just think that you are an incredibly positive catalyst for change. Thank you. That's really nice of you to say. I feel sometimes like I've just, I'm the lady named Karen with the big mouth, but <laughs> not the Karen meme that's going to call the cops on the people's pool party. I'm like exactly. the opposite I was just say, of, wait a minute, <laughs> which Karen no, no. are we talking about no, here? No, 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 no. I find <laughs> Karen memes hilarious, actually. I'm one of the only Karens that I know who find them funny because I know I'm not a Karen. So that way, that's the reason I can laugh at it. But uh, that's very nice of you to say. Thank you. Before we get into your background, Karen, I want to add just a word about the title of the segment, which is called Pitch Your Passion. Because so much of what I know Karen will speak about is the importance of knowing your passion. And this is sort of like the golden rule. Do professionally what makes you happy personally, and all the rest will fall into place. And we're really excited to talk about this today because it's a shared value that we have here at EQRX. So who is Karen Kahn? You really came up in technology and the media industry, um, and you really started your career at tech giants like Google and YouTube. Um, Spent about 10 years leading product marketing teams, which I think is just super amazing. Uh, for a woman to be doing like way back in the day when the internet was really just getting started. Um, Some things that people might not know about you is that um, you started the branded entertainment business, uh, which was a first of its kind program at YouTube. And I know that my teenage daughter, I think, is like all about branded content on YouTube now, someday hoping to be an influencer herself, which is like- A little bit of a scary thought for me. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I know you went on to spend a few years at AOL Original Video where you were leading business strategy and strategic partnerships. And you also built out AOL's female creative capabilities, which like, yay, go women. That's super cool. 
um, and even earned an AOL Emmy nod for your work. So I'd love to hear more about that because that sounds like an amazing experience. Um, so I think, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think early on you sort of recognize this need for female representation, not only in the tech space, but in business more broadly. Yeah. And uh, you really made it your mission to support and empower women-owned businesses, and hence iFundWomen was created. So um, just by way of background, um, iFundWomen is a uh, funding platform for women entrepreneurs that acts a lot like a Kickstarter uh, for crowdfunding female-owned businesses, and it provides resources to help women excel through mentorship, coaching, and networking. Do I have that right, Karen? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think we've evolved, or not I think, I know we've evolved really. Our, our MVP mm-hmm. was crowdfunding okay. because the problem we're solving at iFund Women is that there's a complete lack of funding options yep. for early-stage women entrepreneurs that don't put you into debt. And the reason that my co-founders, and I know that, is because this is our second startup. Our first startup was a spectacular failure. (laughs) We struggled to raise capital. I love how you own that. Oh, yeah. Spectacular failure. Oh, yeah. Our whole uh, ed tech platform is built on my failures. Literally. Okay. We'll get to that. But um, (laughs) the problem we're solving is the lack of funding. So only 1% of all startup founders, regardless of their gender, receive venture capital. So less than 1% of all companies will raise VC. Mm-hmm. So what do the other 99% of startups do? They max out their credit cards sure, or they go into debt funding businesses that will most likely fail. Right. So we, we actually dogmatically believe at iFund Women that nobody should go into debt funding their MVP or their proof of concept or their pilot stage startup. Yep. Um, there's all kinds of times to take on debt and to take on VC, but that's once you have proven demand mm-hmm. for your product or service. And so we sort of coined the phrase, um, prove demand before you invest in supply. And crowdfunding, which was our MVP product, mm-hmm. allows you to do that. And we've gone far beyond that with adding on enterprise brokered grants. So we broker uh, grants on behalf of big enterprises um, oh, that's know, awesome. from Visa and sure. Adidas to Unilever to pharma companies who now want to support women entrepreneurs with their dollars. And so we built a logistics platform into our fintech that allows for the deployment of grants based on specific criteria. So if you are, for example, Unilever, and you're looking to fund uh, idea stage uh, African-American women entrepreneurs who live in certain zip codes, Mm -hmm. we have a really robust database with lots of data on our entrepreneurs that we can deploy. So We've kind of gone from what was our really scrappy Frankenstein of an MVP crowdfunding platform <laughs> to a data company uh, in three years, which is, That's you know, and our, but our mission has stayed the same. Our North Star KPI, and I know that we share yes. kind of this whole, this value system around having one North Star KPI. Mm-hmm. And for us, that's driving funding volume to women entrepreneurs. And there's lots of ways to do that in a debt-free manner. That's spectacular. So um, I want to get into how you got here, starting this amazing business. But how many women entrepreneurs do you think iFundWomen has helped you know, start their journey? Over 50,000. That's amazing. In three years. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. We, um, there was nothing. 
there was truly nothing. The reason we started this is, so my two co-founders, Kate and Sarah, Kate's in Boston and Sarah's in uh, New York. So the three of us were um, working at our first startup together. And that was the startup that I, um, it was a video-based conversation platform. Mm-hmm. And it was a software that I wanted YouTube to build. So just sort of to back up. So I grew up at Google and YouTube. It was Google was my second job out of college. Um, and it was, I'm old, I'm 46. So this, we're talking 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a very early employee. We were, this was before AdWords even existed. We, I was hawking uh, reservation-based CPM ads at the top of a really <laughs> ugly UI. And we you remember those days. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And we were competing against Yahoo. Yep. Um, and my territory was New England and Canada, the well, entire country of Canada. Oh my God, <laughs> the entire which, Eastern Seaboard. Yes, which in t- which meant that I also called on the porn advertisers in Canada. This was before pharma <laughs> couldn't advertise, before the online pharmacies, right. before the porn people couldn't advertise. It was back in the day. Yeah, homegirl was building keyword lists for porn. So this was maybe the beginning of my. We all got to start somewhere. We all got to start somewhere, <laughs> and I, you know, listen, I, I, I took it all the way to the bank. Um, yeah. So, but, so I grew up at Google and YouTube. I spent six years on search, and then when Google acquired YouTube in two thousand and six, I quickly hopped over the fence to be on the video side because who doesn't mm-hmm. love? I'm a visual learner, and so video for me, um, TV, movies, you know, anything video was always a huge passion. So. When we acquired YouTube, I jumped over the fence and I was always on the monetization side, right? Sure. So I can, my superpower is I can monetize anything. My first <laughs> job that. out of college was at a trade show production company at the Javits Center where I used to sell stairs, water coolers, <laughs> booths, <laughs> programs for the International Fashion Boutique Show. So mm-hmm. I really could sell iced Eskimos. So mm-hmm. um, when I went to Google, um, and they were like, okay, go sell these really unsexy text ads mm-hmm. um, you, and, and go and do it f- through, you know, from anyone from, you know, B2B data companies up in New England in, you know, the 138 or 128 uh, tech belt to the porn people, to the, everybody. You're, you're basically solving everybody's problems. So I became a very good listener and I asked a lot of questions. Two very important skills in business. Yeah. I learned from an early age, I just had to understand what these businesses were about, what what were they selling, who were they selling to, and what had worked in the past and what wasn't going to work. And and I was getting into the brains of marketing directors, again, from like SaaS B2B companies to entertainment companies. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very different sell. And the metrics were very different, Right. Then I went and ran the CPG vertical where you cannot <laughs> click and buy Tide. Yep. Yep, exactly. yep. You're not going to click and buy Tide, right? So it was much more about branding. So when you two came on the scene, I was like, oh, I'm running the CPGs. I need to go over to the video side. And that's when I realized that banner blindness had just started. This was 2006. People were not looking at the pre-rolls. It was before you could skip them. It was just annoying. Right. Um, and I was like, I just do not want to sell spots and dots anymore. So I partnered up with some product people and we created the first native video ads on the web, which is really just product placement. So you, you know, you were in the screen. This was back in the yonder years of the internet. 
<laughs> and it was during that time when I became, when I really became kind of like a feminist, which is really just all about creating economic opportunities for women that are equal to men. Mm-hmm. For those people listening that um, hate the word feminist, it's really just about equal opportunity to, to cash yep. and money. Um, and really nothing else. I love men. I was married to one of them once and men are great. <laughs> I hope to be married to another one again at some point soon. <laughs> it can be done. I did the same yeah. thing. So, right. so it's not about being anti-men. If you're a feminist, it's just really about wanting financial equality for women. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. But when I realized that that was going to be my passion, it was when I was at YouTube and I was in charge of monetizing the big creators, Okay, creators with scale. And if you remember, YouTube's endemic audience was, you know, young men, 18 to 24 out of California, really like sharing and making, you know, skateboarding videos and cats on skateboards and anything with a skateboard (laughs) and gaming. And they had millions and millions and hundreds of millions of views. Mm -hmm. So it was my job to package these up and sell them to Unilever and P&G and Pepsi and Coke and all the CPGs. And one day I was like, wait a minute, why am I busting my ass making eight figure deals for these, these, these guys? Like there's, you know, they're white men. You are doing just fine on your own. Mm -hmm. Where are all the ladies at? And this was before, um, women had scale on YouTube. It was before it had really caught on. It was before shell fonds and the Bethany motives of the world where they, you know, the haulers, the YouTube yeah. makeup tutorial people that I'm like addicted to still to this day. <laughs> um, it was before they were all happening. So I went to my boss. It was my 10th year at Google and I was getting real bored printing money. Yeah. It just was. I mean, you print it, sales at Google is if for the listeners that can't see me, I'm just sort of picking up a phone. It's like, hi, how much do you want to buy? Hi, mm-hmm. how much do you want to buy? I mean, really, it wasn't the hardest. It's really hard to be passionate about that. It's hard to be passionate about that. I was bored AF. And I, so I went, I flew to LA and to meet with my boss who had just come over from Netflix to start YouTube's channel strategy, like the big, you know, kind of Hollywood strategy that ended up sort of failing. But, um, I said, listen, I want to go through the entire library of YouTube videos and find all the monetizable videos made by women and put a physical stamp on them and quintuple the price and sell it to Unilever. Yeah. And my boss looked at me like he glazed over. He was like, I think that's illegal, <laughs> which by the way it is like, you know, it's, it's illegal. It's illegal. Your heart was in the right place though. Yeah. He's like, but that's a really good idea, but I think there's too many videos and we can't do that. I'm like, okie doke. So and it was at the same time when my boss, my other boss, Tim Armstrong had gone over to AOL mm-hmm. He was trying to get me to come over. I was like, dude, I don't know if I can wear the t-shirt. Like I'm wearing, I've been wearing the Google t-shirt for 10 years. I Mm -hmm. couldn't have been more proud of that brand and what it stood for. And this is no knock on AOL. I just was like, you know, it was hard to wear the Mm t-shirt. Like, okay, here's what's going to get me to wear the t-shirt. You're going to buy me out of my golden handcuffs. You're going to pay me this much money. It was a ridiculous, so for all you people listening, um, especially the women, um, and especially women of color, we are a hot commodity right now in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. We can write our own ticket. So listen up, black ladies. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Um, when you are negotiating, you ask for double or triple what you're worth, even, and you have to practice it because it's going to make you like laugh. You're going to be nauseous. You're going to be like, oh my God, like who's even making this? You want to have a data-driven approach of, of what, the, what an experienced 
pedigreed white man is making in your role and mm-hmm. double it. And the worst case scenario is they'll negotiate down. Worst case scenario is they say no. Best case scenario is you get it. That's right. my negotiating tactics. I always get what I want. So I renamed this ridiculous number, but I also said to Tim, I'm only coming if you give me a massive budget to go out and fund female creators. And I promise you, I will go monetize it. Mm-hmm. He was like, deal. He's early feminist, great dude. Um, and so I went over to AOL and I did just that, which was kind of making my YouTube for women, which was really giving female creators a budget to create great content and monetize it. When new medicines come to market slowly and at high prices, people can't always get the treatments they need. Imagine a world where new medicines come to market faster. Imagine a world where new medicines are markers for customer value. Imagine a world where people could focus on healing and not the price tag. We believe there's a better way. Learn more about EQRX's mission to remake medicine at EQRX.com. That was a pretty audacious ask at a time when no one was doing that. Um, But I think equally as audacious was AOL saying, yes, let's go do this. There's an opportunity here. Um, and so maybe you could talk a little bit about that passion driving success, because I think that's a key piece of this, right? Like if you're really passionate about doing something, you're just going to make it happen. Yeah. I also think there's white privilege. I mean, like I'm the first to say, so I majored in African-American studies in 8 million years ago, mm-hmm. and I recognize the extreme white privilege that I have being a woman of wealth. I don't care if I get fired. I have plenty of money. Like that's, if you have that, if you have that, Mm -hmm. then you, and you're also like a big mouth like me, you can take risks. So that is not something that I take for granted. Right. And most of the women that iPhone women serves, most of our customers are on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. So when I say like, yeah, I was able to go and ask, you know, Tim Armstrong for, you know, a couple million bucks a year, plus, you know, this, that, and the other, plus another 10 million to fund women entrepreneurs. And, mm-hmm. you know, and people were like, wow, you're so brave. It wasn't really like, yes, I was very passionate, but it's the passion coupled with being on the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah, right. that allows you to take these risks. So I, I just can't let it go without mentioning that. I think one of the things that's maybe important to point out is that, you know, you learned a lot in that experience. Yeah. And those experiences, at least from my perspective, looking at I fund women from the outside, just being an observer and listening to some of the things that you've talked about are some of the things that you leverage to coach your entrepreneur women, right? How do they harness their own inner power, their yes. inner strength, their inner mm-hmm mojo, you know, to figure out a way to launch their business. And let's face it, like it takes a lot of courage to do that. Yes, absolutely. Um, And it all starts with a honed pitch. How do you help your entrepreneurs get there? It's beyond just having a great idea. Yeah, that's such a good question, Sue. So um, everything starts with a perfectly honed pitch. So we created something um, called the iPhone Women Method. So when we um, started the company, our MVP product was a scrappy crowdfunding platform. And we only wanted our users to be able to do one thing, which was to put up a crowdfunding page and raise money from their friends, their family, their followers, their Mm -hmm. network, 
And that's cash money right in the bank, goes right into the bank account. And so that was our MVP product. So for those listening who are thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, the one thing to think, you know, there's lots of things to think about, but when you're building a minimum viable product or your first product, you just want to build that one thing you want users to do. You don't want to get caught in the trap of building 800 bells and whistles and over-engineering something before you've even beta tested it. But um, what we learned when we built the crowdfunding platform is that nobody knew how to crowdfund. We took we took it for granted, right? Mm-hmm. That we live, I live in a tech bubble. I lived in New York. We funded our MVP on Kickstarter. I didn't know how to crowdfund before I went on Kickstarter. And I didn't, I learned the minute the campaign went live, I'll never forget this. I panicked because I was like, where are the magical money elves? You're like hitting refresh. A hundred percent. I was like, refresh, refresh, money? refresh. Where's the money? <laughs> Where are the magical money elves? I was poking Sarah who was like editing video under her headphones. I was like, dude, where are the magical money elves? She was like, I don't know. You got us into this. Like you got to get us out of it. And I like busted into inside sales mode. And I just started making phone calls, phone calls, phone calls, texts to anybody I knew like, hey, will you support us? Blah, blah, blah. And I realized, I'm like, oh, this is just sales and marketing. You're just yeah, you went right back things. to your sales and marketing roots. Totally. This is just sales and marketing. You're just selling things to people that want to buy them. And quite frankly, it doesn't even have to do with your business because you're just raising cash and selling people a merch, a service. You know, I would, I knew how to make video from my days Mm -hmm. at YouTube. So I I went to my friends who had startup companies. I was like, Hey, I'll make you, you know, your first like web commercial, you know, a little video. I'll shoot it. I'll light it. Sarah acted in them. And that's how we met (laughs) because she's an actress. That's how we, that's how we funded our Kickstarter campaign and built our crowdfunding platform. So what I realized um, to make a long story medium is that (laughs) when we launched the crowdfunding platform, not only did people not know how to crowdfund, they didn't have a video and they couldn't make a video, which were two of the biggest barriers, especially for women. Like we don't want to get in front of the camera. We are critical of the way we look. We're critical of the way we sound. We're critical of all the things. Hypercritical. Right. And so in the MVP, we said, okay, we're going to teach people how to crowdfund. So we created this set of tools that we still use today. It's called the iPhone women method. And the first thing in the method is you need a perfectly honed pitch. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a simple problem solution. Why are you uniquely qualified making the ask? It's super, super fast. We wrote a Mad Libs. You remember doing Mad Libs as a oh, kid? Oh yeah, all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we wrote, a, we wrote a pitch Mad Libs and people can just fill in their stuff and they read it through and it should be a minute and a half to two minutes because that then becomes your video script. So that's the key. That's the first step. Like you need to know what problem you're solving. You need to know who you're solving it for, right? Right. How many people are there that are having this problem? Why are they having this problem? Um, how does your product or service solve the problem? Be specific in three bullet points. You know, people mm-hmm. love threes. <laughs> and then why are you uniquely qualified to pull this off? right? Why should people trust you? Why should people give you their cash? Like why, you know, and, and making the ask and that's it. So, um, once people, we noticed something, once people had their pitch honed, that was, that was the moment when you could see, cause we do, we've been doing all of our coaching through zoom since the beginning of time. So when COVID hit, we didn't miss a beat. It was all the right. same. Like, okay, just another day. Yep. Just another day. I mean, not really, but not really. Business wise, of course, of course. Yeah, Um, but coaching wise, it was, and you can see them. They're like, "Oh my gosh, I did it. That makes sense. 
like that, you know, that's a confidence builder. It's the biggest confidence builder. And then you see their posture and they're like, oh my God, they're like tossing their hair. It's all part of the services that we do to get um, our entrepreneurs prepared to raise capital because you can't raise capital, whether it's crowdfunding, applying for a grant, raising venture, you cannot raise capital without a perfectly honed pitch, great marketing materials. Your socials need to be on point. You need marketing assets. You need imagery. You need video. You need photos. You need graphics, all those things. So we have a creative studio, which is one of the other things I took for my YouTube days. Um, And we create um, starter marketing packages, starter branding packages. We'll even create like logos and websites. That's awesome. It's really great. So it's kind of like a startup in a box. Yeah, exactly. help and the support that is what moves the needle because solving the funding gap problem, which is sort of when you go back to when we started talking, I was saying the problem we're trying to solve is there's a lack of funding yeah. for women entrepreneurs. Yep. It's not just about having a check written. Yes, of course, most women will tell you that the lack of access to cash is the number one barrier to them starting up. But the second biggest barrier, and over half of women will tell you that the lack of access to coaches and mentors to literally show you the tactical, practical Mm -hmm. things, not the advice necessarily, but it's how and why to set up your Google analytics, how to do Facebook retargeting ads, how to write your business plan, how to do your pitch. It's these tactical, practical things that people are missing that, you know, you have one superpower and you're a solopreneur Mm -hmm. sitting (laughs) at home. You're great at this one thing that you're starting your business, but you need to be great at everything. Right. You need to at least have a working knowledge of all the other things. So, and Sue, the last thing that, you know, we found that women entrepreneurs need besides the capital and the coaching is really the connections to level up their business, connections to follow on capital, connections to people that can help them move their businesses forward. And so it's been um, really exciting to be able to provide this for women when men have had this really, these male mentoring networks, whether they're on the golf course or at the bar or wherever they are, Women just haven't had these because we've been like child rearing. So it's like literally creating a community to help women be successful, right? And to help them launch their passion and their ideas. Absolutely. Um, And I think that, you know, typically you just don't think about it in your day-to-day life, but what you're saying right now is literally just so obvious um, and such a useful resource. Um, What do you think is, the most important philosophy for your entrepreneurs to be successful, whether they're doing something that's disruptive, whether it's in a social good space, is there, or are there one or two things that you advise your mentees to think about or your fundies? Yeah. Um, Really, it's just know thy customer. Mm -hmm. And that's for men, women, green aliens. It doesn't matter. If you're starting a business, you have to know your customers so intimately, who they are, what they care about, at which price they're going to buy things. Um, So that's number one. And then the second thing is test, learn, iterate. Mm. It is very hard to be an entrepreneur. Um, It pays terribly. And (laughs) an overnight success takes 10 years. Sure. So, you know, you should not put all your eggs, like all, you know, don't go into debt funding your startup and, and more so do your research first on your customers. So, you know, as much research as you can do around 
again, who they are, where they live digitally, what, what is the one thing that you need them to do with this product or service from the get-go that you mm-hmm. can build? And doing that research up front, it doesn't matter if you're in a social good space or if you're making pocketbooks or if you're making you know what, whatever it is. It's the same sort of business fundamentals of starting up, of really doing the customer research and that doesn't mean asking your bestie and your mom and all these, you know, close people. It means asking. <laughs> <Doesn't strangers. count. laughs> it means asking strangers, would they buy this? And if they would, how much would they pay for it? And if they wouldn't buy it, why? And what would make them buy it? So yeah. doing the research up front and really understanding your customers is just core and fundamental to starting a business. Sure. And so even how do you think about that in terms of your own business? Because Women has been incredibly successful over the last three years. Um, you are not a one-woman band or a three-partner band. You know, you have a team. Yes. Um, so how do you think about two things? The first would be for just cultivating that entrepreneurial mindset within your yeah. team. And also, I guess the second point would be how do you think about inclusion and diversity amongst your own team and how has that helped your organization really thrive? That's a great question. So, and one I'm pleased to answer. So when we started iPhone Women, Sarah, Kate and I, who were three white women, we Mm -hmm. were doing our research into entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs in the US. So 1,800 net new businesses are started by a woman every single day in this country. And 89% of those businesses are started by women of color. We knew that as three white women starting this business. So our first seven hires were people of color, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, you have to, first of all, diverse minds, whether it's gender diversity and we do, we have men at iPhone women, plenty of them, um, (laughs) we're diverse genders, diverse backgrounds, diverse way of thinking, diversity and ethnicity. It, it's, it, it increases the bottom line. It's a better fare the company. We're going to make more money that way. That's number yeah. one. Yeah. And number two, if most of our customers are people of color, we need people of color running engineering, running product, running marketing, mm-hmm. running social media, running you know running all the things yep. because um, it just makes sense, right? Back to your earlier point, know thy customer. <laughs> know thy customer exactly, and and diversity and inclusion. DNI was you know I was living and breathing DNI before it was even a thing. I just didn't know. I now have a place to apply it. Sure. Right now I'm like, oh, everyone's catching up. Cool. So yeah, I mean, really, it's we have so far to go in this country, and I love that the revolution has started. Mm-hmm. I really have. I've been waiting for this day. Um, as painful as it is, it's it's been unbelievable to see the people of color, especially the black women who work at iPhone women, and there are many, um, have a platform on which to share their authentic voices because their authentic voices are the authentic voices that our customers want to hear. So while we are apolitical, I fund women, we don't care if you're on the right or on the left, we really just are not a political organization. Mm -hmm. Um, Our customers are largely people of color. And so there are ways that we can talk about entrepreneurship and address income inequality and address inequality in the networks that you need to build to be a successful entrepreneur. We can address them from a first person point of view because our staff, our teammates, our, you know, head of all the things, they've, 
they've walked in the same shoes. Sure. Right. It's, it's, yeah. it carries they much they've more lived weight. It. They've lived exactly. it. I mean, exactly. So we launched in January before the revolution started, we launched iFund Women of Color, mm-hmm. which is a platform within a platform that is specifically for raising capital for women of color. And we have tons of corporate sponsors who are doing grants and, you know, because women who are coming from economically underserved neighborhoods have economically underserved networks and knowing that going in to their entrepreneurship journey means they're going to need extra help and that's okay. And that's what we want to provide. So if I feel proud of my team, I feel proud of myself. I feel proud of my co-founders who thought I was nuts for a while, like they still do, but now they've been like, oh, I, we get it now. It's going to be an inspiration to people building businesses, even if your customers are not predominantly people of color. You know, our country is half, you know, probably over half, not white at this point. So invariably your customers, for the most part, are going to be people that look like all the colors of the rainbow. Yeah. And so that matters. And I think that that matters even more now when you're marketing, um, there's a lot of a lot more purpose-driven marketing coming out of big brands, and I think that's a trend we're going to see. Uh, I think Gen Zers and Millennials expect it, um, and full transparency. I think people can smell the BS a mile away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's probably why iPhone Women has has done well because we've we've really we just cut right through the BS and just try to help people. Yeah. So um, I think that our listeners will find your story, your journey, the company that you founded totally inspirational. Um, I am curious of one last question. And if you could summarize the best advice you've ever gotten along your career, what would that be? The best advice I've ever gotten was from Cindy Gallup. Google her. Uh, you will, she's um, one of our entrepreneurs. Uh, mm-hmm. She, just Google her, you'll know who she is. She's the one who told me when you're negotiating, double or triple it, put a number down that is laughable and ask for it. And she's been saying that for years. Mm-hmm. And that is the best advice. And I pay that forward, you know, especially for women, all the money for all the women now. When women have money, you know, we help our communities, we help our families, a rising tide lifts all boats. And um, so my passion is getting money into the hands of women. And so that was the best piece of advice I think I've ever gotten. It's awesome. (laughs) Thank you, Cindy. And thank you, Karen. I really, I love and admire what you guys are doing. Um, Conversation with you today was a lot of fun. Um, it exceeded my expectations. So thank you for your time. And I hope that our listeners, in fact, I know they are walking away with a bit of inspiration and motivation from our conversation today. Um, so if you want to learn more about Karen's work and maybe fund some women owned businesses, check out ifundwomen.com. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today, Karen, and for being a social good warrior. You're the best. And for all of our listeners out there, Thanks for tuning in to How Do You EQ and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Adori. And be sure to tune in next time. Does this sound like a mission you can get behind? Check out our open positions at eqrx.com slash careers.